Okay, let's turn to Judges chapter 21. God willing, we're going to close the book of Judges. It's interesting that our theme has become, after God raised up judges, saviors, deliverers, he raised up these judges several times. I think it might have been seven complete times to deliver them from their own bondage that they had caused when he brought the enemy down on them. And then we get to the end of that apostasy, the end of what apostasy looks like when the moral decline of Israel was so bad. And we get to where the theme becomes, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, you know, really, that is the place we're at in our nation. We have become lawless in our nation. We have become lawless. And Jesus said that in that day, lawlessness would abound. The day that he would return, lawlessness would abound. And really, if you see, hearts are being trained in this. Hearts are being trained that there is no authority. There, there is nobody that's the boss, and, and nobody's following the rules, and it's actually happening from top down. They're not following the rules, and they set a precedence where other people don't follow the rules. And we see that, it, here's another thing that you might notice if you've been on the internet, that when you have Facebook and you have these blogs in these places, you can pretty much say anything you want, and you don't have to be confronted face to face. And you can go on somebody's comment, you can cuss them out, you can talk crazy to them, and you never have to deal with it. But you know what? It's training that person's heart to be rebellious and lawless and to be underneath no authority anywhere. And it, they might think they're getting away with that, but it is destroying the very foundations of America by allowing people to say and do what they want and have their own opinion on everything. Listen, no kings means no authority. No king means no law. Because God is the authority. And God has set up authority on the planet. And to ignore that authority, which begins with God and works its way down, is to be lawless. And when we start ignoring it, even in the church, God is knocking on the door. As we just talked about, he's knocking on the door. And, and we're ignoring him. We're, we're living in a, in, a, in a time where we call it freedom or liberty, where God has given us his commands. God has told us how we should thus live. God has delivered us to into the New Testament, into the age of grace. But he showed us that there's always been a standard of holiness and righteousness and right living before God. Yes, positionally positionally we can be righteous and perfect and holy and seated in heavenly places with Christ but practically we're running a race and if we overcome and cross the finish line we can be seated with him we can sit down on his throne with him but the point is not to be positionally righteous and just to go buck wild and ignore the practical righteousness it's called sanctification in the Bible. It is God's will for our lives to be sanctified. And if you notice, it was his will for the, his nation, Israel, to go in and take the land. 
to go in and destroy the enemy. But they were supposed to go do it according to his word, according to his power, according to his might, according to what he told them to do in his strength. And that's the way you and I are to do it, according to the cross of Christ, according to the example of Christ, looking to his teacher and his guide and his executor of his will, the Holy Spirit. Because the power of God unto salvation is the cross where he poured out his blood and made an atoning sacrifice for you and me. And that is also the power, that blood, that power comes from the cross that sanctifies us as we become crucified with him. We're dead, the old nature dead, that's our position. We get life seated with him. The position of the old nature is dead and buried in the grave. And we get a new heart that we begin to train and teach and allow the Holy Spirit to guide into all truth. And we go out, we go out to do our own will. No, we go out to do his will. See, I, I had it written down someplace where uh, about are you living your own are you are you living your own life and doing what God wants you to do and it was a trick question because no your life is not your own anymore but we think it is and we continue to make plans we continue to follow our desires and that's the self-life that needs to be buried and in the grave we've been bought with a price the precious blood of Jesus we are not our own anymore he tells us in Galatians 2:20 that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, that's confident trust in the finished work of the cross, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The only life we're to be living now is the one that's empowered by the cross, empowered by the blood of Jesus, that's it's infused with the spirit of God and the newness of life, and it follows the plan of God to go out and tell other people about Jesus and his cross, about Jesus and his death, about Jesus and his resurrection. The life that we're living now is the word of reconciliation. The life that we're supposed to be living now is a life that would be continuing the work that Christ started talking about the kingdom of God. So we see at the end of the apostasies, which is the final of it, that it ended in a nation that had completely walked away from God. They still talked about God. They still thought there was a God, but they had no relationship with God, and they completely ignored the laws of God. And they end up following a thief. A thief sets a priest up, a thief who had stole from his mom. And that's exactly what's going to happen in our nation is the devil is going to come. And he's a thief. He lies to us, and he steals truth from us. He comes and he's going to steal. He's came to rob, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. And that's going to be the end of apostasy of a nation. And if you'll remember with me, the nation doesn't 
become immoral because of leaders in a political arena. The nation becomes immoral starting with the people. And the people become immoral. And they quit training their children. They quit following the word of God and the law of God and the, and the ways of God. And they begin to elect officials. So it starts in the home and it moves to the neighborhood and it moves to the state and it moves to the, to the country. And then it goes into the political leaders. So when you see a nation like our nation where the political leaders are, if I went buck wild, they went totally crazy. They have uh, no king and they do what they think is right in their own eyes for us little peons who don't know anything and don't even know how to take care of themselves, which is what they think then you know that a nation is ripe for the judgment of God. But God loves his people so much that he doesn't just give them straight over. He will allow a more wicked nation to attack them so that they will cry out to him. We've seen that on 9-11 when Islam or Jihad come to America and hit us pretty hard. What did our nation do? We threw bumper stickers up that said, we will, rebuild, we will rebuild American pride. We didn't see people humble themselves and cry out to God. So he gave us a chance to repent. He's continuing to give us chances to repent with things that come. And they're not there to destroy us. They're there to rebuke us. They're there to chastise us. They're there to get us to cry out to him and to turn back from our wicked ways. And that's what was going on here in the book of Judges. And they would turn, as long as the judge was alive, they would turn for a few, but when they would come back, the morality never did come back to what God wanted it to be. And it continued a downhill spiral until they were completely lost, and they followed the thief, they followed the lie. And I don't know if you remember, we got to this story where this man of, this Levite of Bethlehem of Judea had married a, well, he had taken a concubine. It's called his wife. It's called his concubine. And she played the harlot and left him for four months. And he went to get her. And on the way home from getting her from her dad's house, they stopped in a city. And the men of the city were going to sleep with him. They wanted to sleep with him and they came banging on the door and it, it's picturesque of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole story is, uh, some hundreds of years later. Again, we're back there and our nation is back there again as we see uh, homosexual marriage and we see the decline of our country and we say, well, you can't judge me or why are you talking about that? Why are you so much against these things? We're not against these things. God is against sin. Sin separates people from a holy God. And he died on a cross so that we could be brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. And yet the accusation against us is, is that men hate the light. They love darkness. And they stay in the dark. And they will not come to the light so that they can be set free. And we are there again. And so it ends up that they send her, his concubine out and all the men of the city sleep with her until she comes and falls back down at the doorstop 
or the doorpost dead. So he takes her home and cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her back one piece to each tribe. And then all the tribes come together and go, what is this thing? This has never happened like this. Do you see the moral decay? Not just where men want to sleep with men and, and women want to sleep with women, but, but, but where they would ravage a woman and treat her in such disregard. Dis, uh, Even the, the, the man and the guest of the, or the, the man who run the house, they would put the woman out instead of fighting for her. We see that it was, it's just a moral decay. But then that he would cut her up. And then these men would come and they would take counsel and they would go to kill everybody involved. Listen to me. Listen to me. That's not the answer. That might be the, the, the end when justice is meted out to the enemies of the cross. But God right now is extending grace and mercy. God right now is long-suffering. God right now is not willing that any man should, re, or should, should perish. But all would come to the saving knowledge of his son. That all would come to the light. So he's given a lot of time of mercy for people to turn, and yet we do not turn. Yes. And so what we're going to see is a nation slowly being brought back to God. I don't think they ever fully return, but we can see by their way they deal with it. They deal with it themselves instead of asking God for answers and we see that they have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof and that's what the Bible declares is going to be the end of us that the church age the age of grace when that day ends and the rapture happens that there'll be a a form of godliness but we'll deny the power thereof now you're going to watch these people weeping and praying and fasting they're going to do burnt offerings and they're going to do a, a, a peace offerings but they're still going on their own opinions. They're still going on their own principles. And it's what's going on in the church today. There's Bible reading. There's preaching. There's worship. There's all of these things going on. But then we go about our own way instead of having a personal love relationship with a God who is knocking on our heart's door and wants to sit down and have a meal with us, which is a very personal thing when you read about it in the scriptures because they didn't have silverware. They ate with their hands. It was a personal thing where you would break the food together, break the bread together, tear the meat off the bone together, and eat with somebody else and trust that their hands were clean. And that's why Christ is cleaning us up. He's washing and cleansing us so we can have this meal together. So we get all the way to this. And if you'll remember in chapter 20, they have defeated thoroughly defeated all of the tribe of benjamin they've they've killed all of the tribe of benjamin the only thing left of the tribe of benjamin as we closed out was 600 men who fled to the wilderness it was verse 47 of chapter 20 but 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness of the rock of rimmon and they stayed at the rock of rimmon for four months and the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword. From every city, man, beast, all who were found, they also set fire to all the cities they came to. Listen, they went back 
and killed every man, woman, and child. Now, I believe the scriptures kind of disparaged us that those wordings of women and children right there. But they went back and killed everybody and burnt the city. The only people left are 600 men hiding at the Rock of Rimen. And that's how we open up. Well, since there is no king in Israel, Israel means governed by God. There's no king in those governed by God. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's moral relativism. If you, you, I think this is right. And, and that's what happens when you share the gospel nowadays. Well, that might be what Greg thinks the scripture says. Well, that might be good for you, pastor. That might be good for you, but that's not what's right for me. Listen, there are absolutes. There are absolutes. The word of God is true. God is absolute. He's unchanging. And we are shifting everything and changing the truth. And when you build on sand, your house will be washed away by the storms of life. If you build on this truth, if you build on the rock of Jesus Christ, when the storms come, your house will stand. When the storms come, you will go through the storm, but your house will not be destroyed because it's built upon the rock. 21 of Judges. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. It's a place of decision or a place of witness saying, None of us shall give his daughters to Benjamin as a wife. Now, I can imagine them. They're fighting them. They're killing them. They killed, uh, I forget what it was. What was it? 25,000, 25,200, 25,100 men. Uh, and then they ended up killing 26,100 total uh, because of the people that were there at Jabesh or at Gilead. And... I can think while they're killing them, let's just off them. We got to get rid of this. And they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And this is the way we're going to get rid of this type of sin. We'll just kill them all. And then they see these men flee and they go, none of us. We will not allow them to have a wife. There's only men. They can't repopulate. They will die out. We don't have to chase them. And so they make this vow not to give them wives. And it's just a rash vow. It, 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 it's, it's a vow without mercy. And they made this oath to do this. And we're going to see in a minute in verse 5, they made another oath. And, and they're just making, I mean, it's, it's their own eyes. It's what they want to do. And they make it, listen, watch this. Watch what happens. They're breaking every command of God. They're killing people. They're taking judgment into their own hands. They're taking vengeance into their own hands. They're breaking every law of God but they refuse to break their own vow. So they make their word greater than God's word. They make their vow greater than God's commandments. And that's what we do. And we, we need to be very careful with our own ways. When you follow a way in your heart, there's a way that seems right in our hearts, but in its way is death. We're told twice in the book of Proverbs, and I believe that's because by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. It's written down twice for us. That you make up a standard and you can't even follow your own standard. But guess what? I believe God's going to judge us one day by that standard. When you read the parable of the talents, because even our own standard we cannot keep. Because we just shift everywhere. We just make it up new. We might have a standard. We might have a standard that, look at them people drive that fast. Why are they driving that fast? 
And our standard is, is we don't drive more than five miles over the speed limit, which is still speeding. It's still the same thing that they're doing, but they're driving 10 miles over, so their standard is worse than us. But it, both of them are breaking the speed limit. And so we put these standards and we make them greater than God's word. We need to be very careful about oaths, rash oaths. But they swear that they're not going to give any of their daughters to the Benjamites, right? And then look at verse 2. Then the people came to the house of God. They come to God's house. I think it's in Bethel. And remained there before God till evening. So they've been there for a while. They're right before God. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? Okay, listen. Listen. They're weeping bitterly. And listen, God will use tears in your life, genuine tears of repentance to God. He can use those tears. Repentance doesn't always include tears. But people can weep bitterly and never turn to God. But God can tender us with tears if we're really turning to God. He does allow us to cry. He tenders us with tears. But look what they're doing. They asked it, why is this going on? Well, you're the one made the vow. You're the one killing the people. You're the one attacking them. You're the one taking judgment into your own hand. You want to answer the question why? It's because of sin. It's because of apostasy. It's because of disobedience. It's because of no relationship with God. That one of the tribes is going to be destroyed. It's because they are making their oath stronger than God's word. And they're not going to go back on it and say, God, you know what? We made a stupid oath. Will you please forgive us? And where are they at? They're at the house of God. And it's God leading them back. Believe me, with the battle, God wants to lead them back. But if you follow this story, I don't think they ever came back. Because they're still doing what's right in their own heart. And that's the final words of this book. Instead of doing what God said, they're still following their own hearts. Watch it as it goes. Verse 4. So, it was on the next morning. Now see, I think they got an answer. They're in the house of God. They weep bitterly. They ask God, why has it become like this? And he says, because you've walked away from me. You're not following me. You have left the God, the, the, your first love. And he says in verse 4, so it was on the next morning. What they do? The people rose early. They got up early with God. They built an altar, a place of worship there and offered a burnt offering. That's full dedication. A burnt offering is a fully dedicated offering. It's the first offering a volunteer in the book of Leviticus. You would give every bit of that fully dedicated and a peace offering. That was the second offering. It was voluntary. And it was, excuse me, it was the third offering. It leaves out the word of God, which is the bread offering. And it was a fellowship offering. So they do this. They get up. I believe they got an answer from God. God says, you're not with me. You're not following me. And the children of Israel said, who is there among us? Look, they did all of this worship, build an altar, burn offering, fellowship offering, the peace offering with God. And then they went right back to their own ways. Verse 5, the children of Israel said, 
Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with an assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath. Here's our second oath. Concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. Listen, they said, again, another oath. If, if everybody don't come up and fight, anybody that doesn't, they're going to be killed. Where is the mercy? Where is the grace of God at? Because God is a merciful God, is a gracious God. And they, if they would have had relationship, they would have mercy and grace. They would see their own sin. They would see their own hearts. They would see that there's need to have mercy. Watch what they do in their own eyes. Again, there's little shadows here. Verse 6. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. They're grieving for their brother. They're saying, We're going to lose a tribe. Listen, they're not grieving over their sin. They're not grieving over their sin. They're not grieving over their relationship with God. They're not grieving over where they should be grieving. They're the one causing the problem. They're the ones that went and killed off. They're the ones made the stupid oath and the vow. They're the ones that caused this because there's no king. They're not following King Jesus. They're not following God and his laws. They're not doing what they should be doing. They've walked away. Form of godliness. They build an altar. They make some offerings. And they go right back to their own plans. Look at verse 7. What shall we do for wives, for those who remain? See, they should still be on their face. They should still be weeping and grieving over the sin and what they've caused and what they've done. And asking God, what shall we do? See, we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. Listen. They should be praying. Yes, they're grieving, and we should grieve. When somebody else is hurting, we should grieve with them. But if we cause that hurt, we should also ask for forgiveness. Their sin caused this nation to rise up against Benjamin, Benjamin's sin. They began to judge it when God said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And then they make an oath that says we're going to kill them off and we're not going to allow them to repopulate. And now they're trying to figure out in their own hearts, how do we get them some wives? And what they did was they turned from their oath, in a sense, of killing them all. But they never turned back to God fully. See, we don't just, repentance is not just turning from your sin. It's not just returning from your own heart and your own decision, but you have to turn all the way back to God. That's repentance. So it's not good enough just to say, forgive me of my sin, if you don't turn back and begin to do it the way that God said to do it. Well, how did he say to do it, Greg? I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. He said, trust in the power of God of the salvation from your sin nature that is the cross of Christ. He said to look there. He didn't say get up and do some religious stuff. He said, look to Jesus. He said, Jesus paid for it all. He said, the sin nature has been dealt with. I'm going to continue to tell you this. I'm going to continue to talk about this. We're going to continue to stay on this subject because the church only looks to one sin. 
Whatever sin is bothering you at that moment, that's the one that's bothering you. That's what you look at. But it's your whole nature that has to be buried. You don't just have a problem with pornography. You don't just have a problem with drugs. You don't just have a problem with anger. You don't just have a problem with whatever it is that you have that continues to chase you. It's your sin nature. And if all you try to deal with is that one sin that you think is really keeping you from being the man or the woman of God you're supposed to be, then you're missing the point of the cross. The cross, Jesus paid for your whole sin nature to be buried with him, crucified with him, and gone and dead. And he gave you a new nature, one born in spirit, one born from the power of the cross. So that you could rise in the newness of life and begin to live a new life. And you've been set free from the punishment of that old sin nature, the, the, the wages of sin. So that you can practically walk and follow the Holy Spirit across the finish line into heaven. And it's so important that we get that because that's why we set up programs and we have individual Bible studies set up to deal with this sin and that sin and this sin. It's the whole nature and only the word of God and only the power of God can deal with it. And it has to all be put in the grave. Not just one sin in the grave. It's the whole cursed nature. So you stop drinking to please your wife. Your sin nature is still alive. You don't have the cross. You stop drinking because of something you did. That's religion. When you trust in the cross of Christ and you put your old nature in the grave, you rise up in newness of life. And now you can live a victorious Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit because you understand that your whole nature was under a curse. And that's what you and I need to do. Not just turn from one sin, but turn to the power of God and the salvation unto deliverance, the cross of Christ, and receive the newness of life. And if your old nature gets up and you, you know you've sinned in that specific area that we were talking about because of your sin nature... You ask God to help you put the sin nature back in the grave. You remind him and talk to him and say, Lord, I know that you paid for all of my sin nature. Deliver me from this wretched man that I am and let me walk forward in the newness of life. And you wait upon him to do that, but you continue to daily get up and die. Daily get up and remind yourself Reckon yourself dead. You daily get up and tell yourself of your position in Christ that the old nature is dead. That you're dead to sin. That sin has been paid for in your life. You have to get up and you remind yourself of these things or you will believe the lie of the wicked one that the cross doesn't deliver you. It might work for others, but it doesn't work for you. Paul went through this, and that's why he said in Romans, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? He's talking about the sin nature. And then he said, I thank my God for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one that sets us free with the power. And when he poured his blood out on the cross, he paid for that entire nature to be crucified, to be buried, to be dead, and give us a new nature
So don't just turn. See, they turned. They turned back to God, didn't they? What they do? They did some religious stuff. They wept. They did some burnt offerings, some peace offerings. They built an altar. They did all the things that looked like they were worshiping God. But then their very next action was, hey, who else can we kill? There were some other people that didn't come up here. Take a count and find out who else is messing up. Let's kill somebody. Their nature isn't changing because they're not looking to God's power. So what do they do? Let's come up with another plan. And that's what your flesh is always going to do if you don't look to God's provision, the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, who died and rose again for us. Look what they do. Verse 8. And they said, What one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? For in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabez Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, see, they went and searched. They tried to find somebody else in sin so they can deal with their sin instead of deal with their own sin. They went and counted. Indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out their 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including, look at this, once again, no mercy, no grace, didn't learn from the previous attack on the Benjamites where they killed every man, woman, and child except for the 600. Look what they did with this new oath. They killed, including the women and the children. Isn't that amazing? No king. They go do what they want to do. No mercy. They didn't learn from the previous attack on the Benjamites on their own. They, they didn't learn anything from the weeping and the burnt offering and a peace offering and building an altar because God would have told them to have mercy. God didn't tell them to make oaths and then carry out their oaths and make them stronger than his word. See, that's what happens. You and I make these little stupid rules in our life. It's called religion, and it becomes more powerful. Our little standards become more powerful than God's grace and mercy for other people around us. Look what they did. And verse 11, and this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male, every woman who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, 400 young virgins who did not know a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Listen, here's our plan. Yeah, remember that other oath? Kill all of them off and only bring the virgins back, and we'll give them to the Benjamites. <clears throat> so they take and make another plan, just as dastardly as the first plan, because their hearts don't know anything else, and they kill off another whole tribe to get the women... But see, Jabez Gilead was just a section of Gilead. It wasn't all of Gilead. So Gilead is still there, but all of Jabesh of Gilead is now gone, except for 400 virgins who they're going to give to the Benjamites, the 600 men who are hiding at the Rock of Rimmon. But now we got another problem. There's 600 men and only 400 women. We're 200 short. Isn't this a sad thing? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. This is what happens when men lead without God. 
This is how a country ends up where we're at today, when men leave without God. It's not even that bad. Listen, listen, listen. It, it's worse than that. It's right now in our country where if you know God and believe God, then you're not allowed to even be in office anywhere. It used to be you had to know God and be an elder in a church to rule in a political office in this country. But now if you know God, you can know any false God you want. In other words, you can be Islamic, you can be a Buddhist, you can be, you can be a devil worshiper, you can be anything you want but a Christian, and you will be grabbed with open arms and welcomed in into political seats in this America. But if you serve Jesus Christ, you are hated in America. Believe me, it's true. Much more than you can even see it right now. So they got 400 virgins. And in verse 13, then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Remnant, remember 600, and they announced peace to them. Hey, okay, guys, come on back. We're sorry. We're sorry. We've been weeping and crying. We don't want a tribe to be lost in, 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 in Israel. So Benjamin came back at that time. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. Remember, 600 men, 400 women. Think about this for a minute. How are they treating these women like cattle? Like cattle. Kill everybody off, and here's these virgin girls, which are young, and they just kidnap them. They just take them, bring them back as prisoners, and give them to some other men. I mean, this is, this is the... This is the no king in, in Israel and men doing what's right in their own eyes. And I can't just announce that enough because it's the same thing going on, not just in America, but in the church today. There's no King Jesus because we're living in the age of apostasia. And we're coming upon the end of apostasia, where the end of the apostasy is going to be the rapture of the church. And, and there's going to be one that comes who is a thief. He's the Antichrist with a false prophet, and, and the people are going to believe him. And the church is going to be gone, so the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is not going to be here to fight back any more immorality. There's not going to be any, any Christians doing anything anymore except for false works of religiosity. Think about it right now. Texas is underwater in many places or being cleaned up from it. And who's down there doing all the volunteer work? There is a bunch of Christians. I do not know the percentage, but you can believe it's very high. Who's going to do it when the church is gone? I mean, because there's going to be great disaster if the church is raptured out, and it's going to be. How many millions of Christians are going to be snatched out? And airplanes are going to crash, and boats are going to crash, and cars are going to... Who's going to do the cleanup? The Christians are going to be gone. So somebody's going to have to step up and have answers, and it's going to be the Antichrist. It's going to be the liar. It's going to be a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. Look how they're treating people. And just kill them off and let's take their women and give it to somebody else. What brutality. What brutality. Yet we have men that are doing the same thing 
in our world today who will finance both sides of a war. They'll go in and start trouble and then send somebody in the other door and they kill all kinds of innocent people just to continue to do their own thing in our countries. And we sit back and we don't know what's going on because we're still chasing everything else instead of opening the door and letting God in because of apostasia. Seven, or 15, and the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribe of Israel. Notice who they blame. Now they blame God for their sin. God made a void. Where in the world did that come from? But that's what man does when there's no king, when there's no relationship. We always blame God. We're at the picnic and somebody's blaming God. Why is Houston flooded? It's God's fault. If God answers prayers, why didn't he turn the hurricane? The devil also is allowed to use storms. We see it in the book of Job. Listen, you have to look at the good and not at the bad. If you continue to look at the bad and look at the evil and look at everything from a fearful standpoint of what might happen, you will never have a love relationship with God that is fruitful. You have to begin to know that he's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's the power that will run your race for you. He called you and he will do it. He's not going to leave you out there like an orphan. He came to take you home. He came to, and he sent his Holy Spirit to, to prepare you as the bride to get you across the finish line. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. But what do we do? We continue to chase the American dream. We continue to chase all that glitters. He's counseling us to come and look for purity. Come and be clothed in Christ. Come and do his will, not our will. Come and have our desires changed to his desires since he bought us with his blood. Then the elders, look, they, they, they blame God. There's a void. They're weeping, they're grieving, but it's not godly sorrow. So it must be earthly sorrow. It must be, it must be just human sorrow because they wouldn't want to be in that position, but it's not godly sorrow. Then the elders of the congregation, verse 16, said, here's the leaders, the elders, Oh, here's another point. Here's another point. Let me give you another point. Remember the purpose of all of this? Benjamin had committed sin. Benjamin had, had, had destroyed and killed this one lady. And nobody tried to help it. Benjamin has never repented. And yet these people are grieved over Benjamin's sin. See, that's what the world wants us to do right now. They want us to grieve with them, but they don't want to repent. They want us to help them and restore them and, 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 and be like them and, and, and approve of their sinful lives, but they don't want to repent for their sin. Benjamin never repented, and this nation, because of their emotions and their feelings, not because of a relationship with God, said, let's find them some wives. Let's kill a whole bunch more people and get them some resources, and let's restore them, and yet they've never repented. They've never once showed any sort of repentance for their actions. In fact, they're still haughty. They came and they attacked. They wanted to fight Israel. They brought it up in battle array, if you remember. 
and thought they were strong enough to defeat 400,000 men with 25,000 men. And I'm just rounding the numbers. Notice they never repented. And yet the rest of the nation wants to give them everything that they need to continue to live their lives. And that's the problem God has with sin. He will give to you everything for life and godliness, but he will not bless or approve or favor your sin. He gave his son to pay for it, and he wants to purify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. He wants to give us a hope and a future, but we must turn from our sinful actions, put our old nature in the grave, and then come to him as coming to a new hope, a new life, and ask him to lead our life and him to be the power of our life. And we have to spend time with him and build a love relationship and open the door of our heart and let him come in and dine with us and he with me. So 16 of chapter 21 of Judges, then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those who remain? There's 200 that don't have wives. Since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed. We see, it's been hidden in this story, but they killed every woman of Benjamin. They killed every woman. Maybe, maybe even virgin women that had done nothing. I'm sure little kids, they killed them all. How brutal is this? And yet, no repentance. Nobody speaking against that. And everybody worried about these 600 men that were savages. And that's what's going on in our nation. We see it with Islam. Islam is a savage geopolitical ruling system that mutilates women and kills women all the time. It is an evil, evil, it's not a religion, it's a geopolitical ruling system of Sharia law hidden underneath something that they call a religion. It's falsehood. It's to take over the planet. And yet we see none of them speak out against the atrocities of anybody of Islam doing anything. We see nobody even calling Islamic terrorism terrorism. Yet they want to do everything to bring them into our country. Everything to give them a hope and a future in America. But nobody has to repent of what they're doing in that system called Sharia law. Nobody has to repent. It's the same exact thing going on at the end of apostasia in the time when there's no king and everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And somebody needs to be called to account on it and God will do it one day. And we just need to pray for mercy because, you know, even in the Middle East, uh, thousands and thousands of, of Islamic people are coming to salvation. And when their families find out about it, they're killing them. Because you're not allowed to leave Islam. Seventeen. And they said, so what are we going to do? They, you know, all of the women have been destroyed. And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be destroyed in Israel. Listen, there is no inheritance if you do not turn. There is no inheritance for any of God's people unless you repent. There is no inheritance except at the cross of Christ because of the blood of the Lamb. That's where the inheritance is at. 
However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Listen, listen. They pronounce a curse, and they think it's more powerful than the curse that God has put upon them for the wages of sin, which is death. They pronounce the curse. Isn't that crazy? And they're following their pronouncement of an oath more than they're following God's word. And they're not asking God for help. Believe me. God is not approving of this. God has not spoken against it, but he's not approving because God's already spoken. That's another thing that everybody keeps saying. Well, how come God isn't intervening? How come God isn't saying something? He's already appointed a day that he's going to judge. He's already appointed a day. He's already spoken. He doesn't need to say anymore. He said everything he's going to say. It's up to us now to obey it, to follow it, to proclaim it. He is going to already deal with it. Make no mistake. He's a just God. He has given us time to repent and turn to the cross, turn to Jesus, believe in his atoning death on the cross, and one day he's going to judge. He doesn't have to say anymore. We're under a curse until we come to that cross. And it's not man's curse. It's the curse that God placed upon sin for walking away from him. Then they said, in fact, there is a yearly feast. So they come up with another idea. Remember their worship. Remember their thinking. They're not asking God. They're not getting God's way. They're making up their own way. So somebody said, hey, you know what? We're getting ready to have the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh. It's a feast for the Lord. Yet they're not following the Lord. We see them. They're keeping the holy days. They're, they're doing burnt offerings. They build an altar, but they're completely ignoring God. It's a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. They're not waiting for God. They're not listening to God. They don't have mercy like God. They're not, they're not looking for God for answers, which is north of Bethel. It's north of the house of God. It's further away. On the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and Lebanon. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin. Here's their new plan. Look at this. Go lie in wait in the vineyards. Go hide and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. Here it is. Here's our new plan. We killed one nation and got you 400 women. No king in Israel. Here's our another plan. Kidnap 200 other women. Other wives of other people. Other daughters of other people. Let's kidnap them. So now there's a kidnapping going on of 200 women. And that's their new plan. And it's at a feast where they're celebrating God. In Shiloh. I mean, come on. This is a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. This is a, no king in Israel, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And this is the leaders saying to do this. Then it shall be when their fathers and their brothers come up to us to complain. Hey, they took our wives. Complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes. Because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war, the war where they killed at Jabez Gilead, and only got 400 of them. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, 
making yourselves guilty of your oath. They're appeasing them by saying, oh, you didn't break your oath if you let them have your wives when they kidnapped them. Do you see how they're twisting even their own standard? They had a standard of an oath that they couldn't even keep. They twisted it, and they still think that their way is right, even though they're ignoring God. But their way is shifting sand. I mean, Jesus talks about this all over in the New Testament, shifting sand. There's only one absolute truth. It's God's word. There's one standard. It's God's standard. And you know what? He's not even legalistic about it. He's a God of grace and mercy who's long-suffering. He loves us with a never-ending love. He's done everything he can to woo us, to come and, and bow down and surrender to him. And all he wants us to do is to believe in his son, Jesus. To believe in the cross of Christ. To believe in the atoning death and the blood that was poured out for us on the cross at Calvary. So once again, these Benjamites who have not repented from the first murder, they've caused their entire tribe to be killed except for 600 people. Now all of Jabesh Gilead's dead except for 400 virgins. And now they're kidnapping women. And this is the atrocities that we're saying, here's a nation that's worshiping God still. They're still worshiping God, they think. They've built altars. They're doing burnt sacrifices and peace offerings. You guys see this stuff in the text with me? They think they're still worshiping God, and they're committing these horrible atrocities. And it's the same thing, once again, that goes on in the church today. Although we don't commit the act with our hands, we do it in our hearts. We do it in our hearts when we think it. When we're angry at somebody, we hate somebody, we won't forgive somebody. It's the same type of sin. It's the same things. And it's because we're not dealing with the sin nature and allowing God to renew our nature. Give us the new nature and renew our mind. And we need to turn and put the old nature in the grave by the power of the cross. And walk in the newness of life and have a king on our throne. And it's King Jesus. And the children of Benjamin did so. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. Kidnapped 200 more wives. They took enough wives for their number. For those who danced. From those who danced. Whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance. And they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his own inheritance, just like it didn't happen. Life goes on as normal. Did you see the atrocities? Did you see the place they're at? Do you see the moral decay that's happened right there? Because they won't listen to God and they think they're okay. They went back to their families. What? To teach them how to do that? To teach them how to kill and to make decisions that are based upon the devil and not upon God's word? Christians, we need to let God change our hearts. And the way to do it is by surrendering to him, allowing him to be king. Get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. And when your will meets God's will, you bow down and surrender. 
and you continue to ask him to help you crucify the self-life, the more we chase this world, the more we do what we think is right in our own eyes, the more we hold to our opinions that go against God, the more we are foolish in our hearts and we say no to God. And that is going to train our hearts to ultimately say no to God at the cross and to walk in our own ways and to ignore him. And you know what's going to happen? We'll get to the throne room in heaven on judgment day and he will say, be away from me. I never knew you. Because you practice lawlessness and wickedness. The only way to get rid of the lawlessness and wickedness is to bow down and surrender. What ugly days these were and what ugly days we see in America and in the church because there's no king in those who are governed by God and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Listen, this word is going to judge us one day. You cannot get there and say to Jesus, I thought this. Greg said that. But everybody else was doing this. This word right here will judge you one day. Listen, look at it. It's John chapter 12 with me. Turn to John chapter 12. Let me read it to you in case you misunderstand or think I'm just making it up. Let's start in 1244. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. You believe it in the Father's provision for the sin nature when you believe in Jesus. The Father is the one who sent his Son to atone for our sin. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. In other words, we're one. I have come as a light into the world. Yeah, we're dark. We're in darkness. That's the accusation. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. You don't have to live in darkness if you're going to trust Christ because he is light and in him is no darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe them, you don't trust in them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world, to deliver the world from the sin nature. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Do you see that? This word here is what's going to judge us. This is the standard. This is the absolute truth. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. Listen, we've been given a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey or observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been given command. We've been told what to speak. 
We're supposed to speak everything that he commanded us. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us remembrance and guides us and leads us into all truth. And I know that his command is everlasting life. What are we supposed to be telling people? There's life. There's everlasting life in Christ at the cross because of his blood. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, I speak. And that's what you and I should be doing. Just like the baskets of bread and fish. We come to Jesus. He gives it to us. And we hand it out to others. That's what we speak. We don't make it up. We're not adding to or taking away. We're speaking truth boldly because of who Christ is. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say, but we need to be speaking everlasting life to other people. That's the ministry of the word of reconciliation. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to take everything that cross, everything that Christ did on the cross and bring it to life in our lives and us go hand it out from the storehouses of heaven to dead and dying people around us. And it starts with your family. Think what they were teaching right there in Judges. Think what they all went home to their own family, to their own inheritance. And what were they teaching their children? Hey, what you been doing, Dad? Oh, we went and killed off all the Benjamites. Well, except for 600. Well, then what'd you do, Dad? Well, then we killed off all of Jabez Gilead. Well, why did you do that, Dad? Well, they didn't have any wives. Can you imagine what that was teaching them? Instead of setting them down and teaching them the oracles of God, they were teaching them their own ways. They were teaching them something that was moral, morally relevant and what everybody thought was politically correct instead of the word of God. They were teaching them a bunch of lies and expecting them to grow up to be God-fearing when all they were teaching them to do was grow up pretending and to be little snowflakes that melt if you say no to them. That's what it turns out. Because the only way you can be strong and have confidence and boldness is when you build on a foundation of truth. The only way you can get through the storms of life and through the nose of life and through the hardships of life is with Christ. There's no other way to get through it. You try to get through it any other way, I guarantee you, it's shifting sand. You will melt. You will melt away. And you won't cross the finish line. You will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll hear, be away from me, I never knew you. Unless you choose to surrender to the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen.